The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for Crave Online, sometimes IGN.com. Everybody calls me Bibs. Very much panache this week. Yeah, I really just want to like get everyone started. Just like, hey, we're going to be doing this like the, like a, like the host Rise. of a kid's show. Rise. Hey, kids! Rise and shine! Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm the other guy. Uh, I contribute to spots on the internet, uh, Nerdist and what have you. Yeah, whatever you can find, Whatever, whatever I can find. Whatever I'll... you can paint your film criticism graffiti on. <laughs> Sneaking around with my yeah. film critic spray can. Yeah, hacking various websites and just shoving insightful treatises on Luc Besson. <laughs> oh, that would be great. If I could hack like some really like low-brow pop culture website and just... like. Yeah. Do an essay on like Largent or something. Yeah, just like just hack TMZ front page mm. Largent. Love Here's it. my essay on Largent. Well, we don't talk about Largent here. We talk about <laughs> television series. It lasted only one season or less. And uh, throughout this entire month, we've only been doing television series that were canceled this last season. It's a little thing I like to call suddenly last season. Suddenly, right now. That's you have. We haven't been calling it that. No, I've, I've been calling it that, but I kept forgetting to mention it on the podcast. <laughs> okay, suddenly, I've had it written down in my notes, and I just kept mentioning. It. I was like, "Oh, remember to mention the title." Suddenly, last season. That's a good month. Uh, on our last episode of the month. Shut up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been fun. We've had some good shows. Had some really shitty shows. Uh, and uh, this time, we're going to end on one of the uh, most talked about, most critically acclaimed shows of the season that people just didn't watch. And, and to join and us, of, and one of the most requested, absolutely. But to join us, we have uh, one of my most esteemed cohorts in the entertainment media journalism field. Uh, she is uh, Christina Radish. Hello. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Hello. <laughs> of Collider.com, where you write much of your coverage. You cover a lot of TV over there. I cover a lot of TV. I cover TV and film, but I seem to cover lots and lots of TV, especially you're, these days. You're one of the people who, when I am curious if I should watch a show, I ask you. Like, if I see you at an event, like, hey, you watch everything, because you're in, like, you go to those TCA events and everything, and you see at least every pilot. Yeah, every yeah. pilot. I watch at least one episode of everything. That's a, that's that's a hell of a thing. So you're actually perfect for the show. You've probably seen a lot of shows that went absolutely nowhere. I mm. have. What's your What's your favorite show that went absolutely nowhere besides the one we're talking about this week? Oh god, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't catalog these things. Are, are there any that really hurt? I think that's that's what I want to know. Which Which ones were really like awful? Because we've talked about Imaginary Mary. That was brutal. <laughs> that was brutal. That was a rough yeah. day. It was a rough day for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, what show did you like? Maybe that didn't get off the ground. Is there anything else? Or? I really liked Downward Dog. Really? I think because of the title, it gave people such a bad impression that they didn't watch it. Yeah. 
And it was just a really sweet show. Was it really? Okay, yeah. we've had a lot of requests for that one, but they said they were trying to find like another home for it, so we don't know if it's officially canceled I think yet. it officially got canceled because I think it was officially too expensive to justify moving it somewhere else when no one watched it. That's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> and, we were, and we were talking about how that's kind of the future of TV. We're going to have so many shows just collapsing because they're they're all too expensive now. Yeah. That's all yeah. the all the networks are putting so much money into TV shows they just can't be that many people watching they, them. All. They want to break out huge and say look at this cool thing we're doing. It's mm. it's Wizard of Oz but it's super cool and super expensive. You want that? Oh, we wasted all of that money, didn't we? <laughs> and if you can Thank cancel you, a dog City. that cute, then, you know. What kind of dog can, was it? I don't even know. Oh, was know. there an actual dog in Downward Dog? Yeah, it's yeah, a talking it was, dog show. Oh, dear it God. Was, okay. At least it was a thinking dog show. Okay, okay so oh, it was so like the like, Keelan Benetti. No one could hear it, but the dog talked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The dog had lots of thoughts. It was Look Who's Talking Now, the series. <laughs> Except better. Well, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I had Danny DeVito. How bad could it be, right? Pretty bad. I saw that movie. That's it wasn't very smoochie. good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, what? What is? So, what is your like? What is TV coverage for you? Because you do like a lot of the junkets and everything. You just did some set visits. Like, what's what's like a typical like week life mm. like in your uh, in your career? I, I do a lot of interviews with TV. I do a lot of phone interviews because people are always filming elsewhere. Most mm-hmm. people aren't filming around LA these days. So, lots of phone interviews and and uh, yeah. I mean, I cover TV stuff pretty much every week. Yeah, what's your uh, 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 and you got your start? We were just talking about this before because initially you were a photographer. Yeah, and you covered a lot of music, and you met a whole bunch of cool people. So you're like the coolest person at this table. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> Not hard I to do. But I yeah. do. Ooh, I know us real well. We <laughs> we suck. <laughs> like you've met rock stars. You've hung out with rock stars. You photograph rock stars. You've yeah. like what? How did you get into that originally? Like how do you just do you just take pictures of them and then give them the picture and they're just like this is good here's money yeah I mean I loved shooting bands as a kid I've always loved music and couldn't play anything so it just sort of somehow became me shooting concerts instead and I I did it from a kid and I think as a kid everyone was like oh look I'm cute the kid shooting shows so they kind of let me do it how how old are we talking about are you like six like no I was like 15, okay. like 14, 15, it was like mostly adults, so I think it just, and there weren't a lot of females okay. that did it. Almost so. famous syndrome. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. yeah, that's kind of why I always loved Cameron Crowe. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So who's your favorite like uh, band to shoot, like who's, or, or artist to shoot, like who's like, puts on like the best show? There's a lot of people that put on good shows. Sure. I always love shooting my favorite bands. I mean, I've, I've shot Pearl Jam a ton, yeah. Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails. I mean, I, I shoot all those groups, and you shoot the pop groups for the spectacle. It's it's just, it's always mm-hmm. something different. You never know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. as opposed to red carpet photography where somebody just stands in front of you, and there's not a lot of artistry to that. Yeah, yeah. just, hello, but you're getting, like, mid-shred yeah. Yeah. What's like the moment that you're always looking for? You're trying to like capture like the passion, the tiger inside the music. Yeah, I mean, I used to watch yeah. a lot of music videos. I used to watch a lot of live videos of bands uh-huh. to see what sort of felt like them and try to get that. Yeah. That's probably why I ended up injured a lot. Oh, God. <laughs> what were you trying to do? It's like, I need to get the shop. I need to be hanging from a trapeze, no, just, flying over Pearl Jam. People fly over the barricade. You know, people are crowd surfing. They come over the barricade. And if you're not looking, they land on you. Ah. So, You've yeah. been to rock concerts, right? No, not really. <laughs> oh, oh, well. <laughs> I've been to a couple. 
Yeah, when you're the audience and there's a crowd, I'm the person in between. So mm. I always either am the one the thing gets thrown at or the person falls on. Now, is it is it best in your in that sort of situation to try to just dodge everybody like a ninja or to try to punch them like a ninja? I'm usually looking through my camera lens and not paying attention, which is why the getting hurt comes in. See, I'm picturing you just like flailing your left arm wildly while you're clicking with your right, no. trying to just get a, get back, you monsters! I'm trying to take a picture of Nickelback. Yeah. Click. <laughs> why would you want once. to do that? You did. You did take pictures I of Nickelback. Did that once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not by choice. They were on. <laughs> to go shoot Nickelback. They were on a multi-act bill, but I, I did shoot them once. Nickelback is the hypothetic in that situation. I don't know, it rhymed. He said, get back, I'm trying to shoot Nickelback. <laughs> Shut up. I do have a photo I love that I took of them, but it was they were a multi-act thing. Do you think they named themselves after that Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns says he needed his Nickelback? Like, if they don't go 50 rounds, I'm going to ask for my Nickelback at that boxing uh, I, I don't know the origin of Nickelback. I only know their reputation. If you know the origin of Nickelback, keep it to yourself. Okay, so we're going to review... You're, you're a Nickelback fan, and we don't want to talk to... No, I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. I, 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 I'm willing to... There's one Nickelback song. I'd be like, eh. And it's just because it was in Spider-Man. And it was actually Chad Kroger, not Nickelback, so I get, like, kind of a free pass on that. <laughs> Do you? Do you really? <laughs> It's not full bad, it's just half bad. It's it's pretty bad, but I was having a good time with the movie, so I don't hate the song. Mm -hmm. But if I had heard it outside of the context of finally seeing a live-action Spider-Man movie I liked, I would have hated that song yeah. in every conceivable way. It's kind of like that Ponyo song at the end of that Hayao Miyazaki movie, mm -hmm. which is like the most mm -hmm. annoying earworm you've but, ever but heard. But you still, you still hum it on the way out. Because yeah. it's because at least it's a Miyazaki movie, you don't... Ponyo, Ponyo, Ponyo. She's a little fish. I had that She's with, a uh, little with fish in Mystery Men. Mystery Men. Mystery, over the credits of Mystery Men, they played All Star by Smash Mouth. Oh, yeah. You know, the one that was good the first thousand times you heard it. And That's then, right. And then it got overplayed. Uh, <laughs> and other movies took it. You know, it, it, when you first heard it in, like, the summer of 1999, it's okay. It's a fun little song. Fun song. Got nothing against it's it. It's good, good charges you up at the end of that movie. Mm -hmm. Fun lyrics. And then you heard it a thousand times, and yeah. you wanted to kill everybody in the world. That's how it was about Barbie Girl, if you were called Barbie Girl. But then I heard Barbie Girl in German, and it is so much better. Because when the guy has his Ken parts, mm. he sounds so pissed off. <laughs> like, he sounds angry. Like, and I'm like, ah! I don't remember the lyrics. Uh, especially not in German. But he was really angry, and it really brought the song to life for me in a new way. Why don't we talk about some TV? Let's talk about some TV, <laughs> shall we? Uh, okay, so we're going to talk about a show. It's one of the most requested shows uh, we had to cover that was on this last season. It's one of the most critically acclaimed shows of the last season. Let's hear a little clip from Sweet Vicious. Here at Darlington, students learn to push through boundaries. <laughs> How to make an impact. <laughs> and really leave a mark. Because here at Darlington, if you touch a girl without consent, we will f you up. All right, Sweet Vicious, the first show we've covered from MTV. Yeah. Probably not the last. They cancel a lot of shows. Uh, it aired from November 15th, 2016 to January 24th, 2017. Apart from the real world, I don't think there's really been like a TV phenomenon. 
to come out of empty. Oh, maybe Wonder shows well, in. Beavis and Butthead. Cult. Oh yeah, and Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead is kind of a big deal. Dario is kind of a, a big cult thing, which is like an, an arm of Beavis and Butthead. It is, but it was became its own thing and it found its own identity after a while. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that wasn't like. I mean, no one watched Dead at 21 but me. By the way, I'm trying to track down Dead at 21, starring the great Jack Noseworthy. But it was it was all cult stuff. You'd find stuff like The Max. And, yeah! And, yeah, which I, I love The Max. The Max and, is awesome! Yeah. And The Brothers Grunt. No one liked The Brothers Grunt. <laughs> you keep threatening to make us review The Brothers Grunt. Yes. We're not reviewing The Brothers Grunt. Well, I think The Brothers Grunt lasted too long. Oh, God! <laughs> the Brothers Grunt got more than one season, but I Sweet think, Vicious did? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of right. sad. Uh, uh, Christina, tell us a little bit about Sweet Vicious. What is Sweet Vicious? Well, I was drawn to it because I thought it came on at a time that was also, it was my best socially relevant series of last year. Yeah. Because I think it really sort of delved into issues that were very socially relevant and are really needed, which is part of why it's a shame that it only lasted one season. Yeah. I think it's even more relevant. Now. No, it's it's getting it's it's unfortunately getting tragically relevant. Yeah. So the premise of the show, if it wasn't clear from the the clip we played, is uh, it's about two young women going to college, uh, and F- they become fictional college, a fictional college, yes. Darlington College. It's shot at mostly at UCLA, but um, it, they they're very coy about the actual setting. So this is like yeah. they don't give you a city or a state. Well, it's just. Any college town. They make a joke by the end of the season that, like, their college has, like, more, like, sexual assault, like, uh, cases slash accusations than any college. And they're like, is that true? And, like, it feels like it. (laughs) Which is probably why they use the fictional college. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, yeah, they go to a fictional college and they become vigilantes to take on campus rape culture. So anyone who has been accused, uh, certainly plausibly accused, they do do some investigations a couple of times to make sure it's true, uh, of sexual assault. They put on their hoodies and masks, they put on really cool voice changers like on Arrow, and they beat the living crap out of those guys and say, if you ever do it again, we'll come back for you. It's a bit of magical realism. They don't, like, have a device, they just sort of put the masks on and their voices change. They have, there's something, some filter on inside the mask, but we don't want to question. And Arrow, they don't even bother. He has no mask over his face, he just does it. Like, I don't know. I guess it's his tooth. A, he's a voice actor. Maybe it's built into the suit. I, where? Where? His mouth comes forward. It's got to be like... Is it like it, I assume he has, like, false teeth, and, like, in there there's, like, a transmitter. I don't know. Because they have the same... They have that, that arrow voice. Mm. You know? You have failed this but city! Even though it's about a vigilante, uh, it doesn't bog itself down in, like, superhero mythos. This is much no. more about the two uh, women and their relationship, yeah. the way they deal with sexual assault, the way they feel about sexual yeah. assault, and the relationships with uh, with the men around them and mm-hmm. with their best friends and the way the culture in the college is really constructed. So yeah. as, it, this as much as it tries to sell itself on being a vigilante show, it seems to be a lot a lot deeper and a lot more well, meaningful. Well, I want to talk a little bit about how it works as a vigilante show, but yeah, what really makes it distinctive is too many shows use crime and the victims of crimes as a plot point. Mm-hmm. Oh, now we just have to solve this crime. This is always about the repercussions. Yeah. And I think that's something that the show handles really just straight on really boldly. And even though it's funny, like it's really funny, like <laughs> golden age, Veronica Mars funny. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, always intense because even when it is funny people are working through shit mm. while they're doing it and I and I can't help but admire that and yet somehow still always empowering yeah which seems strange 
I don't know. I mean, like, it's empowering. It's like, well, it's kind of impossible to do. You'd think because, but the thing is, is that I think overcoming actual hardship and seeing how hard it is, that's way more empowering than people yeah. who never feel hardship to me. I don't know. Well, the, the people are funny, but it's not funny in that sort of false, quippy, Joss whedon sort of way where everybody's just mm-hmm. sort of ready with a joke and mm-hmm. it's an intense, weird situation and they're quippy, everybody's but constantly bu- breaking tension. They're quippy, this but is, yeah, they don't break the tension. They're, yeah. they're quippy in the way people are quippy. It's it's yeah. a lot more natural here. You know, the, the conversations they have are funny things friends would say to one another. And the yeah. more you watch the show, the more you're sort of in on their personalities and the funnier the jokes kind of become, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk real fast about the the staff behind it. Uh, it was created by Jennifer Caton Robinson. This is her first writing and producing credit. She had like a couple of small, small, small roles as an actor, like mm. not in, not even the lead in anything she was in. And then boom, she creates this show and holy crap, like knocks it out of the park like right away. She's like this mm. really impressive voice. Like right. knocks, knocks it out of the park starting with episode three. <laughs> First couple episodes are your pilot. I think it's still a good pilot, but we'll talk I, about I think, that. I think what happens in the pilot uh, kind of does the show in, but we'll we'll get to that. We'll talk about that. I see what you're getting at, but we'll talk about that. Uh, it stars Eliza Bennett from Broadchurch, Strike Back, and The Prince and Me as uh, Jules Thomas, and she is one of the protagonists at the before the beginning of the show, she has been sexually assaulted by her best friend's boyfriend, mm. and that's what causes her to become a vigilante because there's no justice in the campus system for such things. Uh, also starring uh, Taylor Dearden as Ophelia. Uh, she's relatively new. She was in 101 Ways to Get Rejected, which I didn't see. Did anyone see that? Nope. Anyone nope. see that? Another way to get rejected. But uh, <laughs> anyway, she's great. Uh, she is the uh, weed dealer on campus. She's also good with computers because you need one of those in any crime show otherwise there's way too many plot holes um, and, and she's completely believable yeah <laughs> she's really not is. a cliche type of character really respect that uh, her best f- well before the series begins anyway her best friend and boss at a vinyl record store uh, and they do make a joke about how is the show, uh, store still in business uh, is Harris James played by Brandon Michael Smith from You're the Worst and Phil of the Future oh jeez uh they are joined by Tyler Finn, who becomes Jules' love interest after she kills his brother. Well, technically Ophelia does. Uh, so, awkward! And uh, he's he was from Tagged and the Fosters. Her best friend Kennedy is played by Aisha D from Channel Zero, The Bold and, Type, and which also, was not a good show. And also that new remake it of Flatliners that, if you hurry, is still in theaters. She in that? Yeah. I really oh. liked The Bold Type. Did you like The Bold Type? I did. What did you like The Bold I only saw the pilot. Did it get better? Yes. Oh, okay, thank God. Way, way better. Because I thought the pilot was kind of just like, I saw Sex in the City and here it is kind of again. No. Okay, that's no, good. No, it proves to be a much better show. For that's fantastic. Female friendship and female bosses that actually encourage their employees as opposed to, you know, trying to that's keep it down. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it okay. turned into a way bigger... That's great. Thing. I will I will, I will. will go back to it then and I'll give it another try. Because sometimes they find themselves after the pilot. And it might be a show canceled in one really? season because nobody's heard yet. So. Oh, shit. Okay, well, if that happens, you need to come back. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Because you're a fan. We got we to do that. Uh, let's see what we got here. Oh, and the... and the, What? Olivia's girl. Or Ophelia's girlfriend. Or boyfriend. Oh, Ophelia's... I actually forgot to write down his name. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, uh, Kennedy's boyfriend is Nate... Played by Dylan McDee, which uh, he is new. Mm. Like, he's done nothing else. 
He's like brand new, but he feels like a guy you've seen in a million things. Because yeah. he's he's that type, the guy who plays like the skeezy Skeet Ulrich in the craft kind of guy. You know he's like hunky, but you also know he's evil and you yeah. want to see him die. Mm. Like he's good at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good thing. It, you, you always need one of those. You always need one of those guys. <laughs> um, yeah. Especially in a college show. You do! Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, and, it's and, yeah. He's got a best friend. There's a campus. Co- there's a bunch of recurring. There's a bunch of minor characters yeah. that we're not going to spend too much time talking about. Um, but yeah, I, again, obviously, it's it was a super topical show even before everything that happened. And what's interesting about the show is that the, it premiered the week after the election, and it ended the week after the inauguration. So it was like right in this like little pocket part <laughs> of people gaining despair and not sure like how we're gonna handle all of the politics and everything like that. This is before like Betsy DeVos took over, and Ooh. now she's like annihilated like mm. all of like the the rules and regulations we had about how to handle like sexual assault on campuses. Title nine. Title nine. Yeah. I said. What did I say? You didn't say anything. I thought I said title nine. My bad. <laughs> title nine. But she she annihilated that, mm. and now no one knows what they're gonna do. There's gonna do something supposedly. Mm. But no one knows what the rules are now, and it just—if I feel like if the show had come out now, <laughs> like just waited a few months, It'd be this big they political. They could have just era. had her on as a guest star and beaten the shit out of her. Oh my god! <laughs> well, they, they would have—they would have had like a, a, an avatar, like right. some, yeah. somebody who's like. The fake version of it. Ret- well, you, that's, and, yeah. that's season two. I mean, come on. <laughs> Where they get, that's the whole plot of they season go, two. Sweet and yeah. Vicious goes to Washington. They're like, ah, Jesus. <laughs> um, okay, so in the in the pilot episode, we are introduced uh, to our characters. Mm. We see them uh, meet. Jules is already a badass ninja. Uh, and Ophelia just happens to chance upon her beating up a dude. And at first, there's this moment just like, oh, is she going to like call the cops she's like uh no he sexually assaulted someone in my dorm freshman year he's a garbage person go ahead <laughs> and uh then she becomes really interested in who this person is and she uses her fabulous tech skills to find out who jules really is because who doesn't want to know who the ninja is right? i would want to know who the ninja Everybody is wants to know who the ninja right is. dibs like, who doesn't want to know who batman is i imagine they, they ask all the time in gotham city right how do you not ask? Well, anyway, a lost necklace leads her back. It turns out it's her sorority necklace, and Jules is actually a very gentle, flowery, kind of girlish sorority girl. Yeah. In, she's, in her alter ego. She, well, she's not... It is an alter ego. Like, she's not a badass. She's, like, becoming this as, like, a coping mechanism. Mm. Because in her daily life, that's not who she is. But her next mark, where they call them takedowns, mm. uh, is going really bad. And then Ophelia happens to be there and hits the guy over her head with, like, a crowbar... And he dies. Mm. And then they stuff him in the trunk, and they go get booze, because and, and what they, else are we going to do? And they're completely nonplussed by the violence, and the tone of this, the first two episodes, where they just sort of kill a guy casually, is way off. Well, it's really big, it's really dark, and it really, mm. like... Like, they, they're trying to sell it as this kind of very bad things type black comedy in those uh-huh. first two episodes. And when you read all the descriptions, like, the black comedy suite, well, actually, it's a drama series yeah. with a vigilante in it. And only those first two really go for the black comedy. And it's really the wrong tone well, for a show like this. I don't know if it's Be- the wrong tone because it's, it, I, I think it's an odd choice because usually in a vigilante show, you set them up as heroic and then question mm. the, the morality of what they're doing after a little bit. Here, murder in the first episode, and they never kill anyone again. Yeah, so maybe if they just put him in a coma, it would have been... Better. Maybe? Yeah. Maybe that would have been... He could have just been out the whole rest of the Well, season. did you guys see that show Claws? Did you watch Claws? I haven't, but I'm... I, it's actually really good. 
And there's a, a there's someone who like gets killed in like the first episode, and for a couple episodes, it's all about oh god, we have to hide this murder. And then spoiler alert for Claws, skip ahead a couple of seconds if you must. Um, but then it turns out they're not dead, and that's actually a plot point. Mm. They were just like knocked out and like floated down the river. So you could have done something like that, but yeah. like you're watching this whole season, and as much as I love Jules and Ophelia and everyone in their circle, and I want to support them on their journey, even though they're doing some questionably moral things they did kill a guy and it turns out that Jules is now in like a love interest flirtatious flirtatious eventually relationship with the dead guy's brother and you can only have so happy an ending when you killed the guy's brother and get away with it and and at the end of the series they go like they go overboard to try to cover up the fact that oh yeah there was this murder hanging over the whole series and there's they don't have it out and ah I think maybe the original intent when they were shooting the pilots, like they weren't sure if they were going to be picked yeah, up yet, that they were probably going to have more death. Like it was going to be about like this really kind of violent revenge fantasy against you know sexual assaulters. You think? Is it going to go uh, that dark like all the way? I think so. I think that was kind of... But they were going to keep it kind of like jokies. It was going to be this dark comedy all the way through. And that seems to me like a far less responsible way of talking about sexual assault. Well, Christine, does that track it, for it, you? Does that seem like that's where they were going at the beginning and they switched gears? That happens a lot. I don't know. I mean, I know the creator has talked about her five-year plan for the series ending with Ophelia eventually taking the rap for it all and, and basically saying, like, Jules, go have that life you were deprived of. Uh-huh. So I don't know if that was why maybe she killed somebody in the beginning so they could justify her taking the blame for it all at the end. Okay. But... You know, without having those five years. Who the hell knows? Something could happen in season four. It's also the sort of thing where you have a plan, but that plan can change eventually. Yeah. Over time. And they realize, oh, that's too dark an ending. Like Breaking Bad apparently shifted dramatically from what they originally intended. Um, Well, in any case, so the pilot episode is, is pretty solid. We meet all the characters and we have that murder. And then the second episode is all about. Trying to cover up a murder, which is very shallow grave of them. And they they really like, because they they have some funny bits. Like, oh, their car gets towed and they have to get it back before the body starts to smell. And, they, and I'm and like, they need that's... to get like five, five extra dollars so they can claim the car with the yeah. body in the truck. And like, and that's, that's kind of funny Coen Brothers stuff. But then later on, they decide they're going to hide it by burying it in a graveyard, like in that one season of Dexter. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I'm with you. But we kind of glossed over the fact that you just said that you cut off their hands and pulled out their teeth. Mm. That's the kind of shit that sticks with you (laughs) and, like, really messes you up, like in that movie Shallow Grave, which is why I referenced it. Because it's just like, I don't know if I got that in me to, like, yank out someone's teeth, saw off their hands, cavalierly throw it in a furnace, and then go about my day and finish a Sudoku puzzle. Like, I don't know if I can do that. And have the kind of light banter about going to school and thinking about yourself. You get anything done. After you've done the, yeah. See, so I, I think... The murder was, skip the first two episodes, start with episode three, you're good. I think you're still good, but it's an odd beginning. Because by the time we get to the third episode, and we kind of put the murder behind us, and the characters just don't talk about it anymore, which is insane, but they stop talking about it, they can actually start focusing on why they're doing what they do, uh, their sense of injustice over Mm -hmm. all of this thing, and... Like a mission of the week subplot, which kind of keeps it kind of focused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, well, in episode three, mm-hmm. they, they do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Has one of my favorite lines, uh, which was uh, uh, when um, Jules finds out that Ophelia like took the murder victim's money. Mm-hmm. 
she was just like, what? It's not like they have Natty Light in hell. Oh, they probably do. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty funny. That's not a good beer. That's not a good beer is what that was. Um, uh, it, it, if there's one criticism you can aim at Sweet Vicious, it's that the, the dialogue might be a little too super hip. You think? You like, think it's possible like to be too talk? super hip? Uh, on MTV? No. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's an MTV series, so it's kind of, I can't really criticize it for trying to be sort of like, talk hip language there's this weird thing they do on MTV shows I noticed it on Scream as well whenever like a song plays on the soundtrack there's like a pop up video thing telling you what song it is and like the band and I'm like I'm not against that but it does kind of kill the mood right this kind of reminds you you're watching a big ad for music it is mtv after all come on and it's the only time they seem to care about music anymore right Uh. i noticed they're doing like an mtv classic station and i was like great so they're gonna show music videos no apparently it's old like you know beavis and butthead and uh the real world not even the music videos. I don't, I don't know. I haven't watched it yet, but it's my understanding it's mostly... I know they're the bringing movie. TRL back, but I don't know what they're going to show. Right? Well, they still make music videos. They just put them on YouTube. Mm. Like, I don't, it's yeah. not really like... A, you don't have to be... It's not special. You don't have to watch TRL in order to see the latest Madonna video. Wait for your favorite video to come it's right up. There. Yeah. Well, it's like, like oh, we're going to attach the Justice League trailer to... Who cares? You're going to put it online that day. <laughs> it's fine. I don't need to see it in a theater. Yeah. Anyway, their next uh, uh, their next mark is a guy who uses a dating app to find uh, his various victims, and they're going to try to be kind of topical. There's also an Uber episode where uh, an Uber yeah. driver is a serial assaulter, and uh, they have to get the right Uber in order to trick him, and then it uh, and he goes to the wrong place, and they have to fight him off. And mm. so it turns out there's another guy. Yeah, and there's there's a team of, of assaulters. It's interesting when the show up. gets kind of gimmicky, like an Arrow episode, when there is just a villain of the week. Because it really does remind you that regardless of... Will you stop that? Sorry. People can probably hear that. <laughs> uh, take this damn thing away. I'm well, fiddling Just too stop much. fiddling. Don't, don't put <laughs> magnets near all the technical equipment, you jerk. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. But, um, Sorry, I, I fought. So you I put them there, I might start playing with them. <laughs> okay! <laughs> yeah, on my lap. Okay. No, that's a bad idea. It's all... The, nah. Put it on the cat. Okay, here we go. Sergio is playing with Sorry, magnet. Serge. Um... I digress. But the, what I do think is interesting because it's a good, decent enough time to talk about the show as a vigilante show because in its construct, there's really not a huge difference between this and any other vigilante show. There's a crime. The law, the legal system is failing to deal with that crime, so people take the law into their own hands. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that on most superhero shows where it's like, ah, you took all the money from my research. I'll send a swarm of robot bees after you. Here, it's always super serious. And as a result, they can't really have fun with it. Mm. The violence has always got to feel justified. Yeah. And it's, with the exception of, like, one big fight at the, in the last episode, there's never, like, a cool action sequence where there's, like, some cool set piece. There's just, like, one fight at the end where they fight a bunch of dudes. And, like, that's it. Like, it's, you can't really have fun with it. You know? I think that's kind of an interesting approach. They have to take it, the vigilante genre, which has gotten a bit broader and broader, super seriously. I think that's fine because yeah. this is a show that deals with sexual violence and we need to take the violence seriously. Yeah. Um, in the pilot, when they're trying to sort of stage this sort of ultra, ultra-violent, murdery, light, lightweight murder sort of tone to the show, it turns sexual assaults, like getting revenge for sexual assault into something like a revenge fantasy. 
Like, I wish I could go out and just murder that guy. Right. And I think the show had a lot more on its mind and wanted to be a little bit more constructive than that, not just provide you with a revenge fantasy, mm-hmm. but kind of depict how this really functions and how it makes people feel and how people do slip through the cracks, how a, you know a, accused rapists get away with it. And when you try to turn that into a revenge fantasy, I think that would cheapen that. Mm-hmm. So when they do take the fun out of the violence, I think that was really smart. I agree. I think it makes it. I think it takes the very concept of a vigilante show and reminds you why that should matter, and it isn't just fun mm-hmm. for yeah. me. And that, and even just taking that first episode, where one actual consequence of vigilante violence is you could kill someone, and then you have to decide whether you're going to keep going or turn yourself in. And if you don't keep going, then your life is going to become a Coen Brothers movie for a while while you figure out what to do with that. Hmm. And that's heavy. It's an odd choice, perhaps, but I think they handled it in a way that engaged me. Well, because at the same time, too, I mean, who else is going to help these people when clearly nobody else is there doing it or they wouldn't need to be vigilantes? Exactly. And they do cover that by the end. We'll talk more about that in detail as we get to the end of the season. But they do talk about... We do finally get like a real glimpse at the system, and the system sucks. Yeah, mm. the system's a piece of shit. Like system, yeah. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, episode four, and I appreciate this one because it was careful to point fingers at a bunch of different places. Because this is the episode that's yeah, about hazing. And it, yeah, it wasn't just a bunch of like rogue evil dudes. It was just this sort of culture of sexual exploitation that hangs over young women in college campuses. Yeah. And that here, I greatly appreciate it. It's and dealing if, with a bigger idea than yeah. just evil, like a bunch of evil guys that and they specify, seem like bad apples. And they specify that the abuse that can go on in these college hazing rituals, which yes, not every sorority and fraternity does, but there is a history of it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that that ab- abuse is indeed often sexual in nature, or at the very least physical in nature. Mm. And that is just as fucked up in its own way. Uh, We do have a bit of a plot convenience here when it turns out that Ophelia's mom was a legacy or was already, like, had previously pledged the sorority that is doing this evil able to easily infiltrate the sorority. But we do have this momentarily, like, this almost mean girl slash Heather's moment where she's actually tempted to just say, hey, these people aren't so bad. Mm. Maybe, you know, everyone who's here in this hazing is agreed to be there. They could leave at any time. And then she realizes, no, they're all fucked up. My bad. Mm. I did appreciate... That's after she already landed face first in a plate of poop. Poop! Actual (laughs) poop! And apparently it smelled like real poop. It wasn't like, you know, it turns out it wasn't poop. Ha 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 ha. Poop. Like, yeah, poop. Poop! Have to stay aloft above poop. I'm done with... When you hit poop, I'm like, you know what? Because they have to, like, do push-ups over a plate of poop. And they lead with poop. That's, like, the first hazing ritual. I'm like, I'm done. I don't need to be in that mood. I draw the line at poop. That's going to be our new shirt. <laughs> I draw the line. You know what? Me too. That's a good... Who would... Who wouldn't? I'm, I'm, I'm not bearing poop to be in this club. I'm yeah, sorry. I, no club that would have me as a member would force me to do push-ups on poop. <laughs> as Groucho Marx once said. Um, the other thing I liked about this one is that, you know, oftentimes... Because they're going outside the law and because they don't want to necessarily, like, turn people in because their victims aren't going forward and you don't want to, like, out the victims and force them to deal with the, with mm-hmm. that, which is a difficult conversation to have yeah. as well in general. Um, but there is always the thing of, is what they're doing, like, enough? Are they actually going to prevent anyone? They mm. just beat the crap out of somebody. How do they know they won't do it again? Mm. 
here there's a bit more punishment because in addition to beating up all these sorority sisters, many of whom I guess know Krav Maga or something, but it was fun. Uh, <laughs> but they also just said, also we hacked your accounts and we donated all of your all of the money you made off of this hazing website that you mm. were making $20,000 a week off of to a battered women's shelter. And I'm like, oh, that's good. A little sneakers action. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. Um, I'm glad we didn't see that happening. I, I imagine in other sort of vigilante, there's a, a bit more vigilante shows. There's a bit more of a procedural aspect where we would see the training montage and people getting better at martial arts or like a lot more scenes of like intense close-ups of people looking at computer screens and hacking while intense music plays. That stuff is boring. Yeah. We can kind of just take that for granted. They do have an early one because they do need to establish that Ophelia is getting better at fighting. So Jules is training her. So there's a Mm -hmm. short training montage, but yeah, there's not a lot. What I do miss is, uh, does anyone else, anyone else here watch arrow? Have you seen arrow? Yes. The salmon ladder, the salmon ladder. Okay, whenever... Wait, what, what is the salmon ladder? The salmon ladder, ladder I don't know how do you describe it. It's uh, it's this fitness thing. A thing nobody other than the guy that plays Arrow can actually <laughs> ever use. Yeah, it's like this oh, thing is, where... Is uh, this like a real life thing or something they made up? I, I know it exists, but yeah. it's not a... Okay, it's uh, it's this fitness thing where... Um, okay, it's kind of like a, push, uh, a pull-up bar, mm. but you can... You do the pull-up and then you push the pull-up bar up into like another rung and you like climb a ladder like that. Oh, so yeah. So it's yeah. real like he, he the dude looks fucking badass when he does it. I've seen that on American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like no Which actual is why he went on that show. Did he actually go on that show? I think so. No shit. Oh, that's did fun. He, did he get very far? I think so. Good for oh, him. Okay. Stephen Amell? Yeah. Stephen Amell. Yeah. Okay, he has a he has a brother named Robbie Amell. Who is also <laughs> There's like is it his brother or is it his cousin? There's a there are two Amells. Right. Out there in the world, and they're both fabulous. They're both great. They're both very attractive. It's awesome. And they can be very shirtless. Oh, and thank you. You're welcome. This is great for everybody. That's a gift. I, I remember when Arrow debuted, they had those big billboards all over town, and there was just a shot of him like with his shirt off, and there's yeah. these obvious CGI scars all over his otherwise perfect abdomen, and, and he's like kind of glowering at the camera with very heavy eye makeup underneath his eyes. Yeah, and that's what he had instead of a mask for a while. I, I drove around town with various people of various sexualities, and all I could ever say was, mm, mm, mm. You know, it's pretty it sweet. Was all about the it yeah, was. They were just selling Arrow on the hotness of this guy. Does anyone else remember that one, uh, like, YA movie where they tried to do a sexy YA version of Beauty and the Beast, Beastly? No, with Alex Pettifer. Alex uh, Pettifer. Yeah. That was the name I couldn't remember. Because the whole thing is, ah, he's, he's cursed by a witch to be as ugly on the outside as he is on the inside. He looks badass. <laughs> he's got, like, tribal tattoos and, and like... Weird piercings yeah, and stuff. Yeah, he's, like, right. cut like a motherfucker. And you're just watching him just like, so he's hot on the inside? <laughs> what does that mean? Finally, I look as sexy as I feel. <laughs> Sorry. Why are you apologizing? It's great for everybody. Uh, episode five uh, is the evil Uber episode. Uh-huh. Um, it's also the episode when we start seeing that there are actually, like, people who started noticing that there is a vigilante on campus and Ophelia's friend Harris is actually teaming up with one of the campus cops to try to investigate it. Yeah. And, of course, we know that they're investigating their friend. Oh, that's not going to be good. 
That's going to go bad. Because that's always the question of these shows, is how long can you hide it from like the people in your life? Yeah, I asked, uh, I, I interviewed uh, some of the producers of Arrow, and I asked them that, like, it seems like, by I think it was like season four, it seems like everyone knows everyone's secret identity now, and they're just yeah. like, mm-hmm. after a while it gets boring. Yeah. Like, after a while, like, the secret identity is less interesting than everyone just having a conversation yeah. about what they're actually talking about. Oh, uh, by the way, have you noticed that all of the episode titles are the names of pop songs? Uh, I think they were albums because Tragic Kingdom I think is an album. Tragic, not a song. Well, yeah, I guess Tragic Kingdom is is an yeah. album, but uh, I didn't recognize all, all the albums. All, all Eyes on Me is yeah. Tupac, yeah. Um, Fearless, Heartbreaker, of course. Ah. Uh, Back to Black is Amy Winehouse. Yeah, I don't think there's a, a song called Pure Heroin with an E. Um, um, it feels like there should be. No, look that up. That's your job now. <laughs> Google that shit. Pure heroin. All right. Do it. Keep on talking while I do this. Okay. Uh, let's see. Episode uh, six. Okay, so episode five ends with them beating up the Uber guys. Pure heroin was Lord's album. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode five ends with them beating up the Uber bad guys, but uh, Ophelia ends up getting videotaped or videoed on, and have videos online, mm. much like Kick Ass. And now everyone knows that there are vigilantes out there and the cops are after them. And this is actually a great episode. Like, yeah. everything happens in this episode. Because <laughs> they all, like, everyone bottles up. There's like a huge curfew. Everyone, no one's allowed outside because there's a vigilante on campus. Everyone is in the vinyl record store. Which this is. For which there were no customers in. Just ne- never. <laughs> there are never <laughs> any customers. It's a scene that could have been written and executed exactly as it is sans cell phones in 1994. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I think it works great. But okay, so it's, like, it's like the most purely MTV episode. So Jules and Tyler are finally like getting to the point in their relationship, even though she killed his brother, stepbrother, but still. Hmm. Uh, that they're he actually like him anyway. He, that's true, but he is still. It's, still, it's like uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Still, still his brother. <laughs> a part of me wait, wondered for a while because, like, when we first. Like, we're introduced to him. He was talking about reading David Foster Wallace, and I'm just like, oh, are we going to find out he's, like, the bad guy? Because, like, he saw me reading David Foster Wallace, so I assume you think I'm a serial killer. And I had read this article, and, like, I think it was Vanity Fair, where someone was just like, what's with all of these misogynistic assholes telling me to like David Foster Wallace? And I'm like, okay, so this is a commentary, right? We're going to find out he's the bad guy? No, nice guy. Perfectly nice guy, near as I can tell. Good for him. Not everyone who reads Infinite Jest is an asshole. No so. one reads Infinite Jest. No one gets to the end of Infinite Jest. It's a joke on the show, and they're right. Um, I'm sort of curious, too, if they ever thought about like just having, instead of either one of the girls actually killing the guy, if maybe he had like slipped and fell and died, and then they had to have gotten rid of him. I'm curious that, if they ever thought about that. I would have gone with that route, because then they're, you're, it's still an accident. And it's still hanging over them, but they're not... But they didn't kill him. Sorry. Like, they didn't, like, like murder him with a blunt instrument, like, in Clue. Like, it was an accident. Okay. It's like it's like why bad guys always fall to their death at the end of a Disney movie. You don't don't see the body. Yeah, Yeah. and, and also, you know... Beauty didn't do that. Oh. You know, you don't have to like have a trial at the end. They kind of, and they always kind of do it to themselves. Like, yeah. well, I can walk to safety, or I can fire my gun, and the recoil pushes me off the cliff. Exactly. And then they get eaten by hyenas, and it's great. I might be mixing them up a little. Uh, so uh, uh, Jules and Tyler, they're about to get it on, but then she is still traumatized by what Nate did to her. And Nate is also in the final store, and he thinks, or at least he says he thinks, that what they had had was consensual sex. And, and, yeah. and, she, and to, to him, the big crime was that he cheated on his girlfriend. At least that's what he says. And, and in his mind, he thinks that's what happened. And this, yeah. I, actually, that's an interesting wrinkle, which happened earlier in the episode, where 
Jules, throughout all of this, has been kind of working her way toward a healthy relationship, but she can't really do that. And it's mm-hmm. because with Tyler, with, Ty- with Tyler, yeah. and yeah. and Nate is like floating around because she's her best friend's boyfriend, and he's still sort of in the picture, and she doesn't have the courage. She's terrified whenever he's around to really confront him about this or say anything to anyone about mm-hmm. this. And when he confronts she, her, he she's, says that she's he thought like it was consensual. So starting, starting to take a step toward being healthy again and not necessarily needing this cathartic violence in her life. And he keeps coming back into the life and pushing her back down. Mm-hmm. And he, when he says, and I'm sorry, you know, we cheated and that wasn't really cool. It's like she did realizes that he didn't even know what he did. And I like that it, she doesn't, like, there's this, I think there's this temptation dramatically to have her, like, throw it back in his face immediately. Mm. It takes her, like, almost a whole episode to fully process that, that his idea of what happened is so dramatically different than hers, or at the very least his story is. Yeah. And I like that it took her that long. I think we've all, unfortunately, had those moments in our lives where something huge takes us completely by surprise and we don't process it for like a day. And only then do we realize how mad we need to be. You know? Yeah, a, a day. At least. It could take years. I realize yeah, that. I'm just saying, like, there's this moment where you realize you shouldn't have accepted that apology, that you're still mad. Yeah, mm. especially in a situation like that where you're already a victim and then you're experiencing victim shaming and then you're like, okay, this guy is supposed to have done this, so... How do I reconcile all of this? Yeah, that's absolutely insane. We'll talk a bit more about how that leads into a big cliffhanger. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Ophelia and Jules have got to find a way because uh, Ophelia was s- stabbed in the arm and they're looking for someone with a stab wound because they know someone with stab wound is vigilante. They have to find a way to, to pin frame, that on someone frame else. Frame a guy. So they frame one of the guys from the Uber thing. So like... Ophelia like puts on her outfit, runs through the room so everyone doesn't blame Jules because they start thinking Jules is the vigilante. Mm. So he runs through the room while Jules is there. Oh yeah, the world only thinks there's one vigilante, by the way. Because <laughs> they haven't seen Scream, action. they don't know that there's always two. And uh, <laughs> eight, we don't know. I don't know. It's a vigilante army. It's cool. It's like the end of V for Vendetta, but it makes sense. And uh, <laughs> it makes sense, but it's off theme. That's my problem with the movie. <laughs> Because, yeah, V, this guy who's, like, all about anarchy, his, like, big plan is to get everyone to conform and look and think like him. Mm. No. That's not what the comic was about. So, no. Bad movie. Okay movie until the end. But bad. <laughs> you wrote a bad ending, Petey. Um, so that's going on. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Barton, the uh, the college cop, he brings evidence to the school and gets fired for doing it. Mm-hmm. So that shows you just how corrupt the system is right there. So that's another great thing that happens in this episode. And at the and end... that's true. Yes, or at least too often true. Yeah. And uh, and then at the end, Nate goes to Kennedy, and we think maybe for one second he's going to do the right thing and tell her, like, oh, God, I didn't realize I had raped someone. There was an episode of Felicity like that where he didn't realize he'd done it, but then he took, took responsibility for it. It was a pretty good episode of television. Here, he just goes to Kennedy and says... I cheated on you with her, and she's going to tell you some bullshit story. So that when Jules finally goes to Kennedy and tells her the truth, Kennedy does not believe her. And my heart and, and, is and, like shatters into a million fucking pieces watching this scene. Is, is, like, it, rape is not cheating. Is, <sighs> is, is it okay to say I cried during that scene? Yes, of course I, it's I actually, okay. I actually cried three or four times watching this, this show. <laughs> this is a fantastic and, show. When it, when it works, it works yeah. amazing. And the following episode is kind of... I, I hesitate to call it the origin story episode, but it's it's, it's a flashback one, episode. It's the one that details sort of the, the the details of the actual assault as it happened, and 
the show amazingly handles this as deftly and as well as it possibly could have. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of shows about rape and sexual assault. Mm. Law and Order SVU. There's a rape every episode. And thanks to all of sort of the filmed... Uh, all, all the scenes we've seen out of like TV and media about sexual assault, I think we've kind of been trained to think it looks a certain way. And I think a mm. lot you of... You think we've, we've fallen into a certain pattern in how we depict it on yeah, film. Yeah, okay. yeah, and I think, you know, unless there's like violence and a ski mask involved and a lot of dramatic music, it doesn't count as rape. And What? Th- it this, doesn't count as... Like that's not like you're saying that that's the way it's depicted, and if it isn't that thing, if it it doesn't doesn't look that way, then then you know. So I think a lot of Mm. actual victims of rape find themselves in this weird spot in accusing their attackers because it wasn't directly violent. It wasn't Mm. smashing windows and ski masks. I think I see what you're saying here. I think what you're saying here is that when because there's a whole bit where Jules mm. is trying to describe to people on campus, Mm. like to like a a therapist on campus, Mm. what happened to her. And because it doesn't sound like a scene from a movie, the the person who's supposed to be their therapist and listening to her is Mm. saying, I'm not convinced that you were raped. Mm. And that is fucked up. Well, and, yeah. and, and this is a, the first show that deals with that, that depicts an actual sexual assault, and it's really hard to watch, yeah. where it's it's quiet, mm. and there's not, like, violence and bruising and punching. It's just, th- this happens to you, and it's just, this is what rape can look like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to look a certain way. Yeah, it just has to it, be it, an, a, a sexual it, assault. It has to be against your will. It has to yeah. be sexual assault. And I think the show is incredibly responsible in depicting, I think, maybe a more realistic version of what this actually looks like, allowing actual victims who are watching this show to recognize something that really happens rather than falling it back on these kind of cliched images that we associate with the crime. There's one moment in this episode... I, I, I'm sorry if I'm off base, but... You no, know, I don't I think you're off base. I think is, you might be... The, I was really uh, impressed with it. I'm impressed, too. I think yeah. it might be a little overgeneralizing. I'm sure other shows have done similar things. Yeah. You say it's the first. I don't know if that's true, but... Maybe not uh, the first. It's the first I've encountered. Though. Fair enough. I think it's I think it's handled really responsibly. Christine, what do you think? No, I, I definitely agree. That's why the whole, you know, removal of Title IX thing is scary, because he and <laughs> Betsy DeVos say we have to give more, you know rights to the people being accused just seems insane Mm -hmm. and seems like what they're trying to say in this episode too that Mm -hmm. it's just it's 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 an enormously uphill battle to to get yourself believed and that is a tragedy and yeah for the victims by the way for the people who have already been hurt yeah i um there's one particular like i know it's an mtv show and there was a time when an mtv show they would have music and it would maybe be noteworthy and hear almost all of the music choices. I don't care what the pop-up video thing was. <laughs> almost all of the music choices just meant nothing. You could have had any song in there that sounded more or less the same but would have been fine. There's one hip, hip new songs. There's one particular music choice in this episode. I don't know if the, I love I don't know if I loved it or hated it, but there's a there's a a dude with an acoustic, acoustic guitar version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun as Jules is like walking home into her sorority after having been assaulted. And I'm just like, I don't know if that's on point or off point. Hmm. Like, I honestly don't know how I'm supposed to take that. It's such a weird choice, hmm. and I'm not sure from whose perspective that song is playing. It's because a good dude's singing it. It's ironic, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's just taking girls just want to have fun and making it ironic and 
I, I just know, feel like it would have been turning the whole party attitude on its ear. I guess. I think, but I think the yeah. fact that it was a guy singing it and not a, a woman from a woman's perspective, that song, mm-hmm. taking that song, which is told from a woman's perspective, Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. telling it from a guy's perspective and making it sad. Mm-hmm. The only guy I'm thinking about in this scene is the monster who attacked Jules. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about the song from his perspective, and it gets really fucked up. And I had like a really weird, like, <laughs> con, you know, sort of conflicted emotion about that whole bit. I don't know. Anyone else? Is that just me? I I, I thought it was an odd music choice, but the the mood of the to- the song was correct anyway. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it feels like it has to be deliberate when you're doing something that yeah yeah sort of out there. David Simon, uh, who uh, did The Wire and Treme, and he's fucking brilliant. Um, the deuce. He, uh, the Deuce, which I haven't seen yet. I hear it's great. Yeah. Is it good? Have you watched it? Yeah, yeah. I've watched the whole season. Um, oh, you look. Oh. <laughs> oh. I spoke to David Simon, and when you speak what? to David Simon, you are prepared. I'll bet. Oh my God, what's he like? Is he's, I, I look up to that man. He's, he seems so amazing. great. He's awesome. He seems like he'd be really scary, but he's not. He's really easy to talk That's to. That's great. That's really exciting. He's just really, really smart. I, I, I met Tilda Swinton once. I actually interviewed her a couple of times, and she told me something that I've tried to take with me. Always meet your heroes. Because they'll either be great, or they'll be, or they'll suck, and you'll learn something. <laughs> and I thought that was great. So David Simon is someone I look up to, and he says a lot of super smart things all the time. Yeah, I've talked to him a couple times, and yeah, he's always good. There's one thing he said. Uh, I, I think it was on one of the commentary tracks of The Wire or something, and he was talking about music choice. And he said that when you pick a song to go with a scene, either the music itself needs to relate directly to what's happening. Or the lyrics should relate directly to what's happening, but not both. Because mm. you do both, it's two on the nose. Okay. And people are just sort of like, oh, ha, 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 that song. But if only one is and the other one doesn't quite fit, you get something kind of interesting. And I'm, I, I think here we have a situation where the song choice makes a lot of sense, but the singer doesn't for me. Mm. And maybe that's where my disconnect comes in. I don't know. I don't know if it's the same thing or not. Um, <laughs> all right, episode eight. Uh, they're using... Uh, uh, and this only lasted ten episodes, so we're getting down to the wire. Yeah, we're 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 wrapping things up. Uh, the campus cop Barton and Harris are using one of the potential uh, uh, victims of sweet vicious, as they become labeled after this episode, uh, as bait. They're trying to lure them out mm. into the open, and uh, Jules actually kind of goes off the off the rails here, and. Beats the shit out of the guy way more than she's ever done before. And Ophelia starts realizing that Jules is not dealing with her problems, like, at all. Not nearly enough. Mm-hmm. And that is the sort of thing that we see a lot in, like, vigilante shows. Like, oh, you went too far. This guy, like, was too close to home, man. Gotta pull you back. But here, it's just, like, it's not so much sad for that guy, because he's a monster. It's sad for you, and we need to have a serious talk. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was good. Because I like these characters. I like these characters so much by this point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want anything bad to happen to them. Well, the, the two leads are just fantastic. So good. They're really well cast. So they handle good. their roles really well. They're going with sort of the real world archetypes, I think. Like these two people pick to live in an apartment to see what happens when they stop getting polite and start yeah. beating up rapists. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. They, uh, <laughs> that, that was the real world that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They start out as these sort of broad archetypes. You have a stoner and we have a sorority girl, but they're much more believable real versions, I think. Yeah. Um, they uh, And when they start to interact, it's not like 
this sort of mis- mismatched pairing where they're constantly kind of verbally sparring, we get the idea that these two girls are becoming close friends. And yeah. you believe their friendship and you believe their relationship. What I, th- I, don't, I don't know. What it, is it... Yeah, no, I agree. And even though that episode, Back to the Sorority House, where you find out that, you know, Ophelia's mother was a, a legacy, I think it sort of makes sense and, and makes it a little more easy to understand why she would understand someone like Jules. Yeah, that's a good point. Instead of, because otherwise, these two people don't seem like yeah, they would yeah. ever be friends at all. Yeah. Even, even long enough to get to know other sides of themselves. Uh, well, that's one thing I really admire. I think every character on the show, even smaller characters, maybe not so much some of the... Uh, random guys. S- some of the random guys that get the shit kicked out of them, <laughs> but even some of them. Um, there really is an effort made to show multiple facets of someone. You look at someone like uh, Barton, who's the uh, campus cop, mm-hmm. pops up in, a, in several episodes. In the first episode, he's kind of this, like, not a real cop. You can walk all over him. Ophelia takes advantage of his niceness and ineptitude to get what she wants. Back but, to Veronica Mars. Like Veronica Mars. But like by the end of the season, you realize that, okay, maybe he's not great at this, but he's sincere about it. And he really cares mm-hmm. about the people who go to this school and that he really is willing to do whatever it takes, even if he's not good at it, to do the right thing. Like, I respect that. I think that's really, really awesome. And you see uh, Harris, who's a law student, really struggling with the ethics and legalities of, as he finds out what Ophelia and Jules have done, like, really just struggling with that. Um, and I think that's really remarkable. And yeah, you see the infinite facets mm-hmm. of Ophelia and Jules, and it's really just great how you can kind of... Because let's be honest here, we have archetypes because sometimes people fit them. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to look at someone at a glance and get a basic idea of what you think they are based on other people you've met, based on movies you've seen, books you've read, comic books, whatever. And then you get to know them and you find out that most people, there's a lot more to them than that. And I think Sweet Vicious does this really remarkable job of as the series gets going in a very natural way without having like a whole bunch of episodes that are like, and here's the Harris episode. Like <laughs> they they actually just like gradually just make you accept every single character as a fully fleshed out human being. Even Nate, who is a monster, as we discover by the end here, the even like after he like there's this bit where he's actually trying to like recreate a scene from Love Actually with Kennedy. And I'm like, we know he's a rapist. But he's, he's, he's also the, a good boyfriend, he's, it he's, turns he's out. He's trying to be a good boyfriend in that moment. Uh-huh. And you have to sort of accept that both those things are true. Mm. And that one does not forgive the other. But he, in that moment, that was a sweet and romantic gesture. And he's a fucking monster who deserves to have the shit kicked out of him by the end of the series. And that's a fascinating it's, thing that they would try that, to do that. It's, yeah, it's a, a reminder that the monster is a person. And yeah. There, yeah. there are ways to take him down. Yeah. It's, and it's important, too, to have the balance that there are nice guys on this show, too. It's yeah. not just all man bashing. Yeah, Tyler, it turns out to be a really tragic figure. Because he's nice, and he's supportive, and he doesn't know everything Jules is going through. But when he does, he tries to do the right thing. Sometimes he fucks up trying to do the right thing. But he did. It, there's a bit where um, he goes off to a hearing with Jules in like the ninth episode or tenth episode, and he punches Nate in the face. And she's like, "I didn't want you to do that." <laughs> he is, meant well, that's, that's but like he need, fucked that's up. Not what I need right here. He meant yeah. well, but he fucked up. And then she's like, "I didn't want you to do that." Also, I killed your brother, so I guess I can't be mad. There's always that undercurrent. <laughs> I killed your brother and hid the yeah, body and oh sent God. you fake text messages to make you think he was alive. Is it, it's, it's so weird so that the, weird. the pilot was the death knell for this series. So I don't know about the death knell, but it's yeah. weird. Yeah. 
It's really weird because I can never see a happy ending for them. Like the happiest possible ending for them is either they like date for a while and break up amiably and never speak again, but they're both cool. Because if they end up together, they either have this horrible secret that will either never come out or come out at the worst possible time. Or it's gonna come out and it's just gonna destroy them. There's no see, good. Like, awkward family dinners and barbecues. Right. <laughs> I, have, I have a hard enough time. Like if I had to, like, yeah, I, I canceled on someone and I said it was gonna go to like their, their, I don't know, their rock concert and I was just too tired that night. I have a hard enough time feeling guilty about that. <laughs> if I killed your brother, Jesus. <laughs> Like f- five years later, they, they all know the truth. These are people. Friend. Remember that? Hey, did you hear in the news story that guy who killed his brother? Oh yeah, I read that. Hey, honey, remember when I killed your brother? Oh, you, fun times. Got me again, honey. Like you can't college, right? Yes. <laughs> Like I thought, these are people who, as we see on the show, feel things super intensely. And there are whole episodes where they kind of just forget that they killed a guy <laughs> and mutilated the corpse. I think, I think this, the series was trying to forget it at That's that point. weird. <sighs> so as, as we come down to the end, we finally zero in on Nate. And, yeah. uh, and Jules actually of, reports the attack, which isn't... like It goes through proper channels. It goes through proper channels. Yeah. She goes back to the same counselor she tried to see before. She says a more confident, complete story of what happened. And it becomes this... Im- Embarrassingly, uh, embarrassingly bad way that college colleges handle this because they investigate and they have to interview everyone, and it all becomes mm-hmm. about what the victim has said and done. Mm-hmm. And Did the victim look of, yeah, like they wanted to none, have sex that night? None of oh it is God. ever geared toward the attacker. And yeah. as it turns out, the attacker, being a rich white male, mm-hmm. has enough... And on the football team. And he's on the and, football, and he's yeah. kind of a star student of Darlington U. They just he's able to just sort of get away with it. And in his mind, he's done nothing wrong because he got away with well, it. Well, it's interesting because... And I think that is more common than we'd like to admit. What I think is fascinating is that by, by the end of this episode, two things have happened. Hmm. They had the investigation and they actually found that Nate did it. Hmm. And there's this moment that's just Jules and Ophelia on a couch going, huh, the system worked. <laughs> yeah. We went through all of this. We beat up all that. We killed a guy because this shit, what does that mean? And that's a good question. Uh And I'm actually like, oh, okay. But then it turns out that like the president of the school board or something can just throw that out if he feels like it without even looking at the evidence because that's what he does. Mm. And oh, fuck you, it's on. Because we have one more episode left and it's like their biggest fuck you. Mm. Yeah, so everything is going down. The sorority is entirely behind Jules, which is great. Everyone, like, has a moment where they feel bad and they realize that they handled that whole party badly and that's really awesome. And then Sweet Vicious becomes, like, a movement. Yeah. Like, it becomes, like, a Twitter yeah, hashtag. They, they, they deliberately set it up as a... Pli- Previously throughout the series, the only way women could sort of, ex- like, say the name of their attackers was to write it on a bathroom wall. There's, like, a mural. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah sort stay of, away from these guys. Sort of shrine, as it were, toward the, sort of the, the, the suffering that they've felt. And they decide to move that online. This, this, yeah. The SweetVicious.com website. But people were, like, actually, like, sending them. Kennedy sends mm. them, because she doesn't know they're vigilantes yet. She just knows that Jules was assaulted. Uh, she sends out a tweet saying, hey, sweet, vicious, I, there's someone you need to take down, and she yeah. fingers Nate. And um, and so that's becoming a thing, and they actually start like enlisting people, like the Shadow, 
to just sort of do various tasks <laughs> for them. We need we need to get Nate on camera like saying admitting. Well, like that's what the shadow did. He would yeah. save people, and then they would owe him a favor, and then they'd become like this League of the Shadow, and now like. Fucking Serene McKellen works for the Shadow. Remember in that movie when I, that happened? I saw it numerous times. I like that movie. I, I loved it in '94. It's, it holds up pretty good. <laughs> All right, it's not bad. Anyway, but like they have like this like the Newsboy Legion. There you go. That's another comic book thing. There's a Newsboy Legion or the Baker Street Irregulars. There's a group of people who are actually like enlisted by Sweet Vegas to do their part, mm. and they have like special envelopes, so you know when you've been chosen to help. And you do your and you do it, your bit. It's like the series remembered that it was supposed to be kind of a superhero show, a little bit, like right at the end. And so, like, because Nate becomes like a bad guy, and like, well, he's always a bad guy, but like a car, a comic book bad guy a little bit. And he has like a whole bunch of like frat boy thugs, like you know, like in Batman where everyone just has thugs. Like you with go word, to with the word thug yeah, printed across the t-shirt. Just these big yeah. hulking Italian guys in fedoras, and you just wonder like just turtleneck sweaters. Thug number two. That's what they are. They're always just like <laughs> goon. Goon is also a good one. Yeah. The goons, and like there's, you always wonder like is there like an ad in the paper for goons? It's like that scene in Blazing Saddles where everyone just submits their goon resume, and they're just like, "What'd you do? I uh, stole a bunch of cattle and beat up a guy once." Okay, well, that's ad in the not great. Ad well, in the paper. What are you fifty? You, <laughs> you go on LinkedIn. <laughs> what? Look, look for the goon. The goon yeah. postings. What's, got any references? Got a couple of punches in on Batman once. You're in. <laughs> like, but it's ridiculous. So like, so he has this like legion of frat boy assholes who like all like show up when they're about to take down Nate, and there's this huge fight, and it's totally badass, and it's really great because it's it's bigger than any fight they've ever had, but it's not absurd. It's not like a crazy thing. They're outnumbered, yeah. and they win, but you they don't win the fight because of some ludicrous James Bond stunt. They just manage to fight better, and I buy it. It's oh. just big enough that it's like a satisfying badass conclusion mm. to that, and then it's, it's um, not overly choreographed. Yeah, what you're saying. that's what I mean. Like you know, it's, it doesn't have to be like this huge thing. And then uh, right when Nate is supposed to like get this award for being God's gift to Darlington, they hack the fucking presentation and they show him doing coke and bragging about committing crimes, mm. and that's great. But my thing is this: the series was made. Before our current political like climate, uh-huh. and I'm not sure it's that today that would be the end of him. Well, that would be season two. It's like we he, yeah. he admitted this on camera, and he's still getting away with it. That so, that's yeah. the only thing because at the end, like one of the last cliffhangers is one of the Uber guys who got away, hmm. like finds oh, Nate, and he's like, it's like it's like we guy. have a mutual enemy, and I'm just like. <laughs> Okay, you, are you guys gonna put on masks? What are you gonna do? You're veering into the movie Kick-Ass territory. A little bit, yeah, like yeah, right yeah. at the end there, right? Um, but yeah, so oh, and the other thing was that uh, Tyler got accused of killing his brother because Tyler was trying to mm. investigate his brother's death, but they managed to finagle it so that some guy who just happens to be a child murderer gets accused of Tyler's brother's death. So that makes it okay. The the again, mm. wh- since they spend so much of the series ignoring the murder, and they. <laughs> So hastily covered it up in the last episode, you can tell that the the makers of the show kind of regretted that decision. Just want to move on. But we do have a cliffhanger because it turns out that part of Jules's very particular pink backpack was left behind. 
so he can kind of continue it. Yeah. yeah, and we saw earlier in the season that Tyler had fixed that backpack, so he knows it's hers, mm-hmm. and he knows when it was broken. Like, she can't say, oh yeah, that, that happened last week. She can't do that. Of course, everyone fixes their backpack instead of just getting right? a new one. That's, that's the... Uh, yeah, um, yeah, if a strut breaks, you get a new one. Yeah. <laughs> that's true, <laughs> but like... That expensive. I, I, it reminds me of uh, when we saw Safe Haven, you coined the term mm-hmm. uh, uh, flawless rescue stud. Yeah. Um, did you ever see Safe Haven? Like, or any of the, or really any Nicholas Sparks movie? I think so. Or, or, yeah. or many romantic comedies in general. Yeah, he's, he's the guy who's not, you put it this way, he's the guy who's not happy unless he's changing himself for you. Like, he'll like fix your bike and he's got like, He's he's got a kid, but only because his wife died tragically and left a note saying she wants you to date him. Like that flawless. <laughs> like he's 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 there's a tragedy to him, she but it's didn't perfect. Know who you were, but she got yeah. your name right. She's yeah. totally happy with it, and she comes back as a ghost or some shit yeah. to let you know it's okay. And like yeah, or, and he's just fucking perfect. Or, or if he committed a crime, it was always an accident or something misunderstood. Like I, he, yeah. he lost his temper once and threw a bottle and accidentally killed a guy. I it's interviewed like, Kit Harrington for Pompeii. <laughs> oh God. And I referred to him as a tragic, as a flawless rescue stud. And he yeah. really liked the term because I'm like, at the beginning of that movie, he's like, he's like Conan, like Kiefer Sutherland killed his family and now he's become like the most badass warrior in the land to try to like find Kiefer Sutherland and kill him again. But like, he's been like, sold into, like, slavery at the beginning or something. He's going to be a gladiator. And they're, like, trotting all the gladiators in front of, I think it was, like, a, was it was it Emily Browning in that? Yeah. Emily Browning, yeah. yeah. So it was Emily Browning. So he's, like, in front of Emily Browning, and she, she, he, like, there's, like, a horse that, like, breaks its leg or something, and he has to sexily kill the horse. <laughs> yeah, like, like, with his bare hands, he, like, breaks the horse's like, neck with his bare hands. Like, he, he and she's the, watching him, like, oh, he's hot. Like, that's the way the scene plays. He, Only a flawless rescue stud could do that. Sh- shows how sensitive he is. He cares about this horse. Yeah, with his he bare know- hands, he'll snap that. And, and, he and he knows he needs, to, he needs to put this horse down. It's a very yeah. difficult decision, but he cares enough about the horse that he's willing to do that. And as he does it, he kind of like looks, looks up, her right in the eye, looks up, and does like the uh, lowered eyes right at Emily Browning, and she kind of like fans herself with the vapors. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of, <laughs> that's a that stupid movie. movie. I loved that movie. That movie was nuts. I totally missed that movie. That movie is that movie. People need to find that movie because that movie is really enjoyably bad. Like it's yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, for Sutherland, like I think, literally eats some scenery in that. Like he just tur- <laughs> turns to the left and starts chewing on a wall. That's so awesome. Um. I anyway, saw, I saw Bjork do that once. Nice. Really? I believe you. She was trying to pull wallpaper off of a wall. What did she so. do with her teeth? She was. Drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you got pictures of that. That's no. a, that's because that's an album cover right it there. Was, yeah, it was at the, the Fremont Hotel in San Francisco. That's awesome. <laughs> it, it's only a Bjork album cover if her hair is also like three feet tall. Yeah, no, there's some interesting things went on the Tibetan Freedom Festival. I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone got drunk at the Tibetan Freedom Festival and, and fucked. Oh my god! Train races up and down the hall. Yeah, wow. Perry Farrell and Beck were anyway. Totally different subject. That's an amazing yeah. subject. Why are you changing that subject? <laughs> Completely different subject, Holy which shit. we're moving to now. Yeah. Oh my god, you have great stories. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. It was crazy. Please write an autobiography right? at some point. I need that memoir. I'd read that. Yeah, times of a Dave Grohl. Yeah. It yeah. Was, uh, yeah. Following Dave Grohl around that night. It was interesting. I want to read that. I'm dead serious. You should write that up. I want to read that, he and then I'll be able to say time. I helped by, by helping 
you encourage. Yeah. <laughs> Even Dave Grohl is very candid about kind of the stupid stuff he does when yeah. he's higher on drugs. But he still cares. He still made everybody go out in the lot in the courtyard of the hotel when one of the band members of Radiohead broke a window, and he made everybody get brooms and clean up the hotel. Oh my God, that's really nice. He was afraid that nobody would ever let any of us stay there again. Aww, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> I like that responsible crazy party. He had in pigtails and like a little sweater on, and he was out wow. for the yeah. So that's Dave Grohl for you. Tom York. Man, why do, why do do? <laughs> it's so appropriate that we brought her in for the MTV episode. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know all this cool shit. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so anyway, Sweetfish just ends with them like starting a website, and they have a whole bunch of people posting on the website about all the mm-hmm. incidents that have happened that they didn't get justice for, and then. Season two, which we won't get. Um, and it's a... F- what was that? Ever. Tears. Apparently not. Yeah. And that's a damn shame because this show was... Again, there's some weirdness with that plot point, but I honestly think... Okay, that's odd. I don't care. The show is fantastic and I wanted more of this. Yeah. Th- th- this needs to go on a list with stuff like My So-Called Life yeah. and Freaks and Geeks as one of sort of the great short-lived TV shows. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen any undeclared, but... No, and I haven't seen any I've heard. Yeah. Um, th- there's such strong character work, such good characters, such responsible writing, and mm-hmm. such a frank look at a difficult subject. And an entertaining look at a difficult subject. Like It's, it's not like hard it, yeah. to watch this. It's There are moments that are so fucking emotional it's hard to watch, but it's so funny and so exciting and so deftly handled. And so human. It allows yeah. the characters to be full human beings who are more than the sum of their injuries or resentments. Yeah. It's great. I like it a lot. I think it might be one of the best shows we've done on this show. I, it's got, I think it's a candidate for the best. Mm. It's, it's certainly right the fuck up there. Like It, it would have been my number one last year when there we did our awards. Yeah. Like it definitely would have been my number one. Christina, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the end of the show and what we got out of it and where it might have gone. Because you said you know some about the, like, the five-year plan. Well, I know that the five, like I said, the five-year plan, she was going to end it with, with Ophelia taking the blame for everything and right. basically right. saying, Jules, go go mm. live the life you had taken from you right. because of all this. Is that Do you know any more than that? Like anything on the interim? Or is that just, we just well, know Well, she, the creator talked about season two. She knew, that she very well knew that this was a white straight girl's story. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to open that up for season two and, and get into LGBTQ issues. Great. And different races and people of color and other, you know, guys who are sure. survivors. She wanted to explore all of that stuff with the second season. That sounds great. I think we need that. Um, with Harris part of the team. Yeah, of course. Well, they, yeah, I mean, he's, he's the only other one who knows by the Well, he, he finds out, and they set him up in a law office, which is a really great plot way of giving mm-hmm. them, like, yeah. ways of investigating. It's like, and mm-hmm. this guy has a record, because I was well, looking through these files. And, like, he like he's trying to get, like, an internship with the district attorney, mm-hmm. and the district attorney finds out about, like, oh, you were investigating this thing about the campus? Here's the thing. I work for the city. The city gets most of its money from the college, so no internship for you, mm-hmm. basically. And I just, I'm picturing like me being Harrison. Oh, so you're spectacularly corrupt. Oh, interesting. I'll note that down for later. Yeah. You will be the big bad of season two. Three? We're going to milk that to season three? Okay. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely one where we're going. You got to wonder though, like, because we still have a few characters. Ophelia has a boyfriend. By the end, he seems really cool. I like yeah. that character a lot. Uh, Kennedy is 
She doesn't know anyone's a vigilante, but she's on board and supportive. Mm-hmm. We still have a couple of aunt and Tyler, of course, has no idea, and <laughs> that's going to be a real mess. Family um, dinners. It's like it's like the yeah. He's like the one character who can just literally never find out. Right. Like Kennedy can find out, and we can deal with that. You know, fucking uh, Ophelia's boyfriend can find out, and we can deal with that. Tyler finds out. Ophelia's boyfriend is the one that probably like has figured it out because mm-hmm. he's the one you'd least expect and he'd just be like what are you talking about I knew that like a season and a half ago <laughs> remember, remember in like the adventures of Lois and Clark where there was that big season finale where Clark revealed to, to Lois Lane that he was Superman mm-hmm. and like the big opening of like the next season of Emory Sorcerer's her going I know I'm a reporter <laughs> I was waiting for you to tell me <laughs> That's pretty funny. The glasses just weren't doing it. Yeah, like after a while. If that's if memory serves, that's how that happened. Lance Hunt wears glasses. Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. (laughs) How he wouldn't be able to see. (laughs) That was one of the things I liked about Man of Steel is that the first thing Lois Lane does is figure out who Superman is because she's a good reporter. Because she has eyes. Yeah. Well, we didn't know Clark at that point. Like, it's it's not like, they know that thing where they're like in the office and you're just like, seriously? (laughs) Seriously? But she just... She's a good reporter. Why? Yeah, I, don't know. I, I love in the Superman uh, animated cartoons where they, uh, you know, they draw Superman in this big stylized way. He has this big square head and gigantic square shoulders, and then he puts on the suit as Clark Kent, and he's like this seven foot tall behemoth with the gigantic shoulders. He's not hiding a lot. There's a good bit that Grant Morrison did in his All Star Superman, where I mean, I think Frank Quitely did the art, but like, mm-hmm. uh, it was their idea together. Which is, it's not that he looks nothing like Superman; it's that Clark Kent doesn't is like doesn't carry himself like Superman. Like mm-hmm. he's always hunched over. Yeah, yeah. He's like really meek. Well that's what Christopher Reeve did. Yeah. Was, uh... That's the thing. Like you just don't buy that that dork is <laughs> Superman. Oh. There's this one episode not one episode, there's one issue of the comic where Lex Luthor <laughs> built a supercomputer to find out who Superman was. And the but super we're, we're talking about Superman now, but well, yeah, it's a <laughs> show. He's built a supercomputer to figure out who Superman was and then after like it chugs along for hours uh, it finally butts out Clark Kent is Superman. Lex Luthor's like, damn thing must be broken. <laughs> because there's no way Superman would pretend to be that weaselly Clark Kent guy. This is uh, back around the time they changed Lex Luthor to be more like Donald Trump, by the way. That's true. That's something they actually did. <laughs> Jesus. After Crisis on Infinite Earths, they changed Superman and Lex Luthor. And they said, Lex Luthor, yeah. let's make him not a, a career criminal. Let's make him more like Donald Trump. Okay. So it was can- was sweet vicious canceled. Yes, it too was canceled soon. too yeah. soon. We all agree yeah. it was canceled too soon. It's in it's uh, ridiculously good show and you should watch it if you can. Especially now. Yeah. It's only gonna get Oh god. It got way <laughs> too to- I got it should not have gotten more topical. That's the opposite of why we should have a show like Sweet yeah. Vicious. Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily we have it. It's yeah. it's out there. You can find it on Amazon. It is mm-hmm. readily available and I think it is disappointingly universal in, in the way it depicts and handles sexual assault. Yeah. And I think this is not just an entertaining show and a very hum- human show and a very warm and emotionally intelligent show, but it's also uh, very instructional and uh, could be helpful t- for people who have suffered yeah. assault. Um, uh, maybe, maybe even kind of therapeutic. So I, th- I think it's good for the world that it's out there, even in the state that it's in. And another thing that's cool about it, and I know this wasn't the intention because obviously they wanted to go on longer, but if you, this is the only season we have. There are like a couple of little cliffhangers, but it does have like an ending. Yeah, there's yeah. A satisfaction. It's really satisfying. Like at the end of it, you're just like, all the cliffhangers are just sort of like, oh, eventually they'll have to have that talk and it'll be awkward. Mm-hmm. But like, 
for the most part, it's just like this is this is co- this is coherent. This isn't like Alcatraz where the protagonist dies in the last episode and that's it. And you're just like, what? You can't end like that. Like, or, no, this is, we're good. Or, or pitch where the the main character, a baseball like, pitcher, blows like, out her arm. Blows out her arm, and the last shot is her yeah. going into a cat scan machine, and we don't know what's going to happen. Like, dude, <laughs> is she okay? Yeah. Yeah. Never find out. Doesn't lend, doesn't leave you on a on a. I don't on a know what else happens to the beard. To the beard? Yeah, Mark Paul Oh, okay. I was, I was thinking oh, Sweet Vicious. Like, no. Like, no, yeah. Mark Paul no. Oh, my God. That beard was the best idea someone's ever had. Whoever, it's like, whoever told Jonathan Frakes to put on a beard, and whoever told Mark Paul Gosler to put on a beard, probably the same guy. Might be the same beard. <laughs> it's over time, so it got longer. It's, it's, it's like that, there's like Venom from the Spider-Man comics. It just detaches itself to various hosts. There's an episode of The Tick like that. There you go. Um, <laughs> you're right, there was. If you're going to cancel this show, why has nobody snapped up these actors? Like, why are they not on another They should be right? huge. Like, there's this interesting well, thing it, where, like... When when was it canceled? Uh, the last episode was in January. They waffled a bit to, like, cancel a couple other MTV shows that actually had better ratings yeah, than Sweet Fishes. nothing is out now, they should still have it been announced as being on something that's yeah, going to happen so. sometime. It, it is absolutely insane and it's one of those things where like it's like after The Wire ended you at least saw those actors everywhere even though The Wire was never a huge ratings bonanza because people saw it and it was really good so I would I hope you know it's only a matter of time before these people who again uh, uh, the girl played Jules what's her name hang on Elizabeth uh, Eliza, Eliza Bennett. Bennett I mean she was she's on stuff she was in uh, Broadchurch Strike Back she's mm. getting out there more uh, Taylor Dearden is a real find Mm. She's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we need to see them in everything, please. Um, they're both on Twitter. I looked them up. Oh. Yeah. And, and uh, Eliza Bennett especially has turned her Twitter account into uh, an, an aid resource for victims of sexual assault. That's fantastic. So the, the show has already kind of turned into what it did on the show. Like That's Sweet great. Vicious became yeah. this sort of resource for, the show uh, for victims. The creator vocal about it, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I respect that. I saw something Eliza Bennett, like some interview she did about how, um, like, one of the hardest things she had to do or one of the most important things she had to do when she was preparing for the role was just listen to people. Mm. And that will change your whole perspective. And it's really crazy. There's a there's a quote, actually, that uh, Jennifer Caden Robinson gave in an interview, I think it was to Deadline, that I really liked. Um, and I think it really pertains to some things we have to talk about on this show sometimes. Um, she said, shows... Quote, get canceled for reasons that have literally nothing to do with the show. That is what happened here. Unfortunately, our show is about something extremely important, and the disconnect between the business and the heart sucks. Wow. And that can be very, very true. Sometimes shows end because they suck. Sometimes shows end because they were ahead of their time or behind their time. But when they're good and they get canceled anyway, that sucks. <laughs> <sighs> It hurts so bad. And we're just the audience members. We weren't even working on the show. <laughs> yeah, but like, it's, we're people who it's made for, you know, the audience. Uh, um, it breaks our hearts. One personal thing, uh, the record store, Vinylton, as it's called in the show, looks like a record store. It's got the big posters up. It has the you know, retro neon. Mm-hmm. They, they know where all of the records are. Uh, Ophelia has been hiding weed in the unsold records that no one would ever She's buy. She's been hiding her those. weed money. Like well, the money she's oh, making from the Just, weed. She knows people will never buy certain records, though, and yeah. I think that's kind of cute. Yeah. Um, they try to decorate it, and you can tell like some set decorator in Southern California is going around for like record store-looking stuff. One of the pieces of set decoration is a calendar for the New Beverly Cinema here in Hollywood, where I happen to work as a projectionist. <laughs> and they were filming it at a time when I was already projecting, so I saw this calendar up on the wall. It's like, hey, I projected those movies. Huh. 
<laughs> it's like all of a sudden the place where I work is getting a shout out well, on the, Sweet Vicious. That's something that happened Sweet Vicious. A lot of the campus scenes were shot at UCLA. Mm. And I went to UCLA. And whenever you've gone to UCLA for any real length of time, you notice they use it for every college in the world. Like mm. it's the co- it's like I think it doubles for Harvard and Legally Blonde. <laughs> like it doubles for every college mm. in the world. So it's I easy, constantly easy see like there, I, yeah, I constantly see like, oh, I had a class there. That class was hard. <laughs> Stupid biochem. The, Why is it Biochem 101 if it's super hard? They were they were very, Why very would they do that? ginger about kind of masking where they were shooting, though. And in fact, if mm. you looked at any of the close-ups of uh, Carr's license plates, there was never a state printed on any of them. Mm. Yeah, you don't want, you don't want to be the the say, yay, we're the we're the school that the mm. show about sexual assault and the, how it happens to every single person at this college is based on. <laughs> oh, why would you go here? That's bad. That's bad. For, <laughs> for some reason, for some reason, enrollment is way down this year. Weird. Well, uh, Christina, thank you so much for joining us. You're awesome. We want to have you on again. I'll yeah. have to do it. If uh, if um, what was it again? The bold. The bold type. The bold type. I want to say the bold I, force. I hope I we like, don't have bold. to talk about that because I, I really would like a second season of that. Show. Okay, but I will definitely check that out again based on your recommendation because this is 100 percent true. Whenever I see you at a junket or anything, and you tell me something's good, I'm like, that's yeah, probably real good. It, it was so good. yeah, I'll, I will. I, I will go back to it. I promise because I just didn't care for the pilot, but we'll yeah. see. Um, but thank you so much. Where can people find you? Like online, like we can see you can read your work in Collider. Yeah. Are you social mediaizing? I'm, I'm on Twitter at Christina Radish. Awesome. And Facebook also under the same. Cool. And Instagram, I think Christina underscore Radish. Nice. We'll put a, <laughs> it's we'll, easy to get my name everywhere because nobody else has it. That's great. Uh, I, I have the same thing. There aren't a lot of Bibianis, um, but we'll put a link to your Twitter account on the on the page for this uh, episode. So everyone follow. Uh, Christina, uh, I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, that, we are, that's an easy one to, to claim. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we are at Cancelled Cast. You can also email us cancelled too soon at gmail.com. Mm. Uh, if you want to make suggestions for other shows for us to cover, you can also uh, ask us questions about uh, other stuff we've done or uh, did you watch any of these shows and want to share your opinions, your two cents? Let us know. Or uh, shows that should have been cancelled after one season. That's. <laughs> Send us a list of that. <laughs> Send us a list of shows you wish were canceled after one season. I would actually love to read those. That's an interesting topic we haven't covered yet. <laughs> so yeah, do that. Um, if you want to subscribe on Patreon, you should, because that'd be great. Uh, we're on <laughs> patreon.com slash canceled too soon. Remember, canceled has one L in the way we spell it, uh, which is one of the right ways to spell it, damn it. Uh, and uh, for uh, various tiers, you get various different uh, perks, various different uh, prizes. Uh, and one of the things you get to do is help us pick an episode every month and next month you're going to get to help pick the bonus episode that is for patreon subscribers we are going to be reviewing one of the stephen king miniseries that nobody talks about and you get to help us choose one of those plenty of those there are and actually we've had a lot of votes and it is a three-way tie as of recording so we need some more votes so we can decide what the hell we're going to review in october so you're going to have your choice of the tommy knockers based on the sci-fi novel even stephen king doesn't like (laughs) The Langoliers, with Bronson Pinchot going completely insane it and terrible like CGI. They giant hair and teeth. Right? Uh, they do. They do. They really do. It's weird. I thought they looked like the orange after you left it in your cubby at school for a month. They, they look, look like, like a... Dried, rotten 
They look CGI like they thing. look like snarks from the end of the 100 Lies of Blackjack Savage. Not the first episode, but by well, the, the end of it. There's no way not to laugh at that. <laughs> it's really great. And so that's a fun one. Uh, we're also, another, one of your options is uh, Storm, of the Storm of the Century, which is an original miniseries Stephen King wrote for television. And also Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which is an anthology miniseries based on a whole bunch of his different short stories. So send in your votes, subscribe if you haven't already, and you can submit your vote for that, and you'll be able to hear that episode if you're a Patreon subscriber next month and next week it's october of course we have to do a ton of horror stuff so we're going to be reviewing it's, it's media mandate it is if you this work the in role. media it all has to be horror throughout the month of october. but there is no fucking shortage and we're going to be reviewing a show that you've all heard of but never heard of because <laughs> we're going to be reviewing bates motel not that one the 1987 one with Lori Petty and Bud Court about a guy who went to a who was in a mental institution with, with Norman. Norman Bates and inherited the Bates Motel from Norman Bates and also it's haunted. Yeah, because that sounds like a good idea. Doesn't that sound like the best show ever? It's from the creator of Universal Soldier. We can't make this shit up. I can't wait to review that next week. That's gonna be fun. And here's the weird thing: I've seen it already. I know. <laughs> I haven't yet. I cannot wait to watch it. It looks so fucking great. So that's going to be the first of a whole bunch of different horror-themed episodes throughout October, and, and we're looking forward to all of it. my favorite pilot that I've ever seen didn't yeah. get picked up, but that did. What was, what was your favorite pilot that didn't get Lock picked up? Lock and Key. Lock and Key? Yeah, we want to track that one down. We've had some trouble with it. Okay, we're going to look around for that, and then if we can find it, you need to come back on. Okay? Because we need to do that, because I've heard nothing but amazing things about the so pilot. Good. There's a lot of great pilots out there, and when we can find them, we and cover them. And now it's a show again. Yeah, totally different show. Yeah. Weird. Totally different people. Weird. Equally as talented people, so okay. hopefully. Fingers crossed. Maybe as good. Yeah. Cool beans. So eventually we'll get to that, and we'll definitely have you back on for that. And thank you so much. You've been so great. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure well, having you on the show. Don't, don't say cool beans ever again. Okay. <laughs> Neat beans. Neat beans. Anyway, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Yeah, we will get to your letters. Uh, it's a long episode. We have a short show to review next time, so we're gonna review. We're gonna read a whole bunch of letters next week. So yeah. send so us your letters. Continue to write in. We'll, we'll get to. We'll it. catch up to it next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And that is a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. <laughs>